Despite Asheville's leafy reputation, Western North Carolina doesn't exactly have a robust farming industry for hemp. A recent story from Daniel Walton in the Mountain Express said there were just 25 growers in Buncombe County in 2022, marking a drop from pre-pandemic 2019. Still, with some products carrying strains of the psychoactive THC, CBD retailing is thriving. Let's be honest, this whole five-year period has been deeply weird. CBD was always a thing that people were interested in, but this whole other suite of chemicals is really only something that's arisen due to the loophole in the federal farm bill and in North Carolina's language. I'm Matt Pikin. My guest today is Asheville journalist Daniel Walton, formerly a staff writer and now regular contributor to Mountain Express. We'll talk through his story that seems to show an imbalance between the robust retailing and relatively modest hemp farming industries in this region. We'll also talk about where talks are at the legislature around the legalization of marijuana and how that legalization would affect the hemp and CBD markets. Hannah Cole is an Asheville artist and accountant and the founder of Sunlight Tax. She has all kinds of free resources on her website, including a podcast called Sunlight. Hannah serves up practical advice in short episodes about taxes and shaping how people in creative fields think about business. It is about tax and money issues for, I like to say, visionary creators. So people who are doing care work, healing work, and creative work. People who are driven by a passion and not just for money. To me, people doing that creative work are changing the world for the better. They're, we're the empathy muscle of our culture. Sunlight ranks in the upper tier of entrepreneurship podcasts on the iTunes chart. Go to your favorite podcast outlet and find Sunlight with Hannah Cole and go to sunlighttax.com for all the other resources Hannah offers, including details on her money boot camp. I began my conversation with Daniel Walton by asking about the seeds of his reporting for this story. This story actually started with a reader email. We had somebody write in asking about these more industrial uses for hemp, stuff like hempcrete as a building material or hemp fiber as a source of clothing. Curious to know if, in fact, local farmers were trying to get hemp in those types of use cases. The story had kind of been kicking around the express slush file for a while, and now that I'm freelancing for them, I finally had some time to really dig into the topic and give it the justice it deserved. So that's a broad topic. You can go in a lot of different directions with it, and you did go into a pretty comprehensive dive. So what were your first breadcrumbs down this rabbit hole of the local hemp industry? I started out by contacting the first person who's in my article, Drew Kitt. He's co-owner of Two Moons CBD and Wellness down on Hendersonville Road. He is also director of business development for iHempX, the International Hemp Exchange. He's based in Asheville, but this company is, has a global scale. They provide seeds and plants for hemp growers around the world who are doing growing for fiber, for seed for oil production, as well as the floral hemp, which, as I found, is really the 99.9% of what's happening in Western North Carolina. I guess from the outside looking in, I would think, boy, Asheville has a th must have a thriving hemp industry. CBD is huge here. 
what you established was at least by in that, in context with what's happening nationally and even elsewhere around the state that Asheville's hemp industry is pretty small. Yeah, I think Asheville has a very visible hemp industry. As you say, the CBD shops and hemp-derived intoxicant shops are very prevalent. The question becomes, how much money does that actually represent? It also becomes, what level of full supply chain does that support? Is it just on the retail side? Is it the farmer side through the processor side through the retail side? That's what I wanted to establish. One of the findings in your story that I found really interesting was that at a certain point, there were a lot of farmers, a lot of people got into hemp farming, and that there's been a sort of attrition in this business, and a lot of them have fallen by the wayside. Talk about that. Talk about when did this development of this industry mushroom, not to have a pun, but when did it mushroom, and how long did the peak of this last before it started descending? You really could only have this type of hemp industry in North Carolina, at least, from 2017 onwards, when you've got the state legislature passing the hemp pilot program, which made growing hemp the non-psychoactive cousin of marijuana, uh, made that legal. Then the federal farm bill in 2018 created a lot more clarity, a lot more legal framework for it, and growers were felt more confident that they could go ahead and do this and they wouldn't get slapped down eventually. You go to 2019 and the gold rush is on. You've got everybody and their brother trying to grow hemp thinking, hey, I can get in on this fast growing CBD market. Maybe eventually I'll be able to pivot into a medicinal marijuana or a recreational marijuana business if that becomes legal. And there were perhaps indications at the time that it might. Everybody has their stuff, everybody's grown their stuff, and the market becomes flooded in 2019. And if you are a grower, you're now on the marketplace with a huge amount of other product. If you don't have some way to distinguish yourself, whether by growing practices or branding, you're going to be selling at a super low price you're not going to get the gold that you thought you were rushing for. Yeah, you ju- you establishing your story that often the selling price for these products is less than what it costs to make these products. From what I understand from Drew Kidd and others, that has been the case for some of the past several years because there was such a glut of plant material grown in 2019. Processors were able to extract the good stuff, the CBD and other cannabinoids from the hemp then, and have had that in storage as like raw chemical material. If you're someone who wants to start your own line of CBD gummies, it can be much cheaper for you to just go and buy some bulk CBD oil or extracts from the market and put it into your product rather than trying to grow the hemp yourself or to contract with a grower to grow new stuff for you. So a couple of questions off of that. You mentioned 2017 was the year of legalization and regulation around this. Was there a big buildup to this? Was this something that, was there a CBD or was there a hemp industry lobby that had been working on the state legislative level to get this passed for many years? I'm not super familiar with the state level background on the bill. I know that many farmers or some farmers at least had been thinking of hemp as a possible alternative to tobacco. As you may know, in West Farming was a large part of the agricultural economy with the tobacco buyouts in the late 20th century that kind of 
became impossible to to sustain economically. That's where you get the Appalachian Sustainable Agriculture product project and all of kind of the tailgate market vegetable side of things. But some farmers thought hemp is also a potentially smokable crop that you can get high value from small plots. Maybe we can use that as a different type of economic pivot. I was just wondering, because North Carolina in particular, the tobacco lobby was huge. Winston-Salem cigarettes, R.J. Reynolds down the line that have demonized marijuana and I think by extension hemp. I was just wondering if there was just even getting over the hump of that to legalize this in 2017, was that considered a surprise victory on the part of the hemp industry? I don't know if I'd call it a surprise. I know at that point there was bipartisan support for hemp as a way to potentially help farmers. I believe that the governor at the time, Pat McCrory, let the bill go through without his signature because he had expressed some concerns about hemp as a gateway or some of the products that might be derived from hemp. I will tell you that now, as we're getting to the debate over legalization of medical marijuana in North Carolina, we are seeing some substantial lobbying efforts from, quote, big pot to make the licensing regime favorable for these conglomerates, what those in the industry call multi-state operators. You mentioned the gold rush of 2019 around CBD. I'm wondering, was getting into this from a farming level and manufacturing level, was it relatively inexpensive? Was it a low lift or did it require deep investment of both financial resources of land? What did it take or what does it take to be a player in the hemp industry? I think if you're someone who's just doing it on an experimental level, as a lot of people were at the 2018-2019, it doesn't take much. You're literally planting some seeds in a field. If you want to really focus on the kind of high value, carefully cultivated production, then there is some upfront investment. Most high value hemp flower, especially now, is grown indoors or in greenhouses, under grow lights, where it's protected from pest pressure, from inconsistent weather. So if you want to focus on that part of the market, there are some capital costs. So who survived the fallout of this? Tell me about the players who, you know, are there common traits or threads that allowed some people to survive the glut of competition? Yes, especially locally. I talked with one hemp farmer, Andrew Wheeler of Arrowhead Hemp Farms, and he says that the reason that he and his operations been able to stick it out is because they're very focused on providing the highest quality product they can and vertically integrating their brand. All of his product is certified organic, which is a rarity. He's either the only one or one of tiny handful of certified organic hemp growers in the region. So if somebody is looking to provide a certified organic product, he's the guy. He also has his farm as a brand, and you can cultivate loyalty to that brand. You can charge a higher price than you might be able to wholesale. He's also focused on his own brand being very much in the wellness CBD space. He's not trying to diversify out into the intoxicating recreational market with Delta 8 or Hemp Derived Delta 9. He does partner with Small Axe Cannabis, which is another local company that, that does produce those products as their kind of 
grower, but under his own brand where he's making most of his money, he's got a very focused message. This is CBD for general wellness. And you also mentioned there's a very much a regionality to this business that it doesn't behoove growers here to try to branch out from outside this area because they're, then they're in competition with hemp growers elsewhere who are making products more inexpensively. I think you had an analogy or one of your subjects, your interview subjects talked about, they couldn't go up against a company from Oregon who is selling it at two thirds the cost of what they are. As with everything, it depends. But the analogy that was used was the craft beer industry. The idea that if you are a local hemp grower, you might be able to create a local following around your brand, around your very high quality, organically grown product. You might be able to charge a premium for that. Marketing that narrative outside the region is a lot harder. And then you're running up against the national behemoths of integrated brands like Lazarus Naturals out of Oregon, which is growing floral hemp for CBD production on hundreds of acres out in Oregon. They have huge economies of scale and they can provide a product that is chemically very similar, if not identical, at costs that you as a guy with an acre in Western North Carolina hauler would never be able to. The Overlook is giving away two pairs of tickets to see every magnetic theater production for the rest of 2023. Just sign up for The Overlook's free newsletter. Go to podavl.com newsletter and plug in your name and email address. Anyone registered by the end of April is eligible. That's podavl.com, P-O-D-A-V-L.com newsletter. And who knows, I might see you at The Magnetic. What does the landscape look like for the industry now? Is it, is it a healthy business for those who have survived? Or do they struggle just to distinguish themselves in this marketplace? And do you foresee further attrition happening? It's hard to say. I think the people who have stuck it out are not making a huge amount of money, especially on the growing side. I get the sense that for many of them, it's a passion as well as an economic opportunity. Andrew Wheeler, the farmer I spoke with, said, I'd do this if there was no market. He really believes in the potential of hemp, the plant, to remediate soil, to sequester carbon, to improve the landscape, as well as the potential of CBD to be a really healing chemical for a lot of people. He wants to provide that option to people. I think that Many of the people who have stuck it out or some of the people who have stuck it out are hoping that they can pivot their business into the medicinal or recreational marijuana space. I don't think that the General Assembly right now and the rules that they are considering is going to be particularly favorable to a small-scale farmer entering that space in the years to come. Yeah, you talked about in your story, you alluded to this, about some of the onerous restrictions that are on one of the bills that's being up for debate now. Talk about that. Sure. So the current bill, I believe it's Senate Bill 3, to approve medicinal marijuana in North Carolina, really sets some very strict limits on who can grow and how they can distribute their product. There will only be 10 licenses available for marijuana businesses in the entire state. Yeah, let's focus on that. Do you know why? Is it? This seems like an arbitrary number. I couldn't say why 10 exactly. I think the idea ostensibly would be the fewer businesses there are to keep track of, the easier it will be for a state regulator to make sure everybody's following the rules, isn't dealing anything under the table, etc. 
What goes into becoming one of those 10? There have to be, at least from the outside looking in, is it the highest bidders for licenses, these coveted licenses to do this? What, who gets these 10 licenses if this bill passes? To get one of the licenses, you have to be able to demonstrate that your company is able to control the entire supply chain for your product. You have to be able to grow the product, process the product, package the product and distribute the product all under one corporate roof. That's a big undertaking and it's a capital intensive undertaking. So the people who are going to successfully apply for these licenses are likely companies that have built up this expertise in infrastructure in a Colorado or a California or in Illinois, somewhere where medical or recreational cannabis is legal and they've got the working capital, they've got the lines of credit, they've got the expertise for making this infrastructure. Right. They've got the experience. And so that puts North Carolina growers or potential growers at a real disadvantage. And to your knowledge, the people who are in the hemp industry right now, locally or regionally in North Carolina, do they also control the entire vertical chain of their products right now? Some don't. Andrew Arrowhead Hemp Farms is an example of a business that does control the chain from growing through processing through marketing and distribution. I know that other businesses do not like small axe cannabis gets, doesn't grow their stuff, but gets it from Arrowhead hemp. Franny's pharmacy, the perhaps the biggest and best known of the hemp businesses in Western North Carolina uh, does not, to, to my knowledge, grow its own hemp anymore. They tried at one point, but I think they're sourcing from not their own farms. So I wouldn't say that there's any large scale conglomerate in Western North Carolina that's controlling a whole supply chain. So you mentioned how a lot of these growers, the ones who have survived, are waiting it out and hoping for a position to be positioned to elevate their legalized marijuana game. Is there enough business in the hemp industry itself, assuming that they cannot compete or they are not one of the 10. Is there enough growth in the hemp industry or is the industry branching out with new products and new uses that are showing potential and are exciting to local hemp growers? Yes and no. We are seeing in the hemp-derived space a lot of new like hemp-derived intoxicants, radio audience, imagine the air quotes. Uh, but we're talking stuff like Delta-8, Delta-10, THCA, all of these compounds that will get you high, but are under the federal farm bill still legal because they're not actually, quote, Delta-9 THC, which is the specific chemical listed on the Federal Drug Administration's like, schedule of illegality. But wasn't there a worry, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, wasn't there a worry in your story that if pot is legalized, that those products, the THC, the Delta-8, Delta-9, will then go off the market or be forced off the market with the legalization of marijuana? There is a worry about that, and we are starting to see some of that in other states. I believe I cited Arkansas and Florida as jurisdictions that have medical marijuana programs and whose legislatures are now considering rules to either ban outright or severely limit the availability of these other products, this Delta-8, Delta-10, etc. So far, according to at least Julie Mayfield, Buncombe County's Democratic Senator at the General Assembly, there's no discussion of that at the North Carolina level. But if 
if we follow the train of lobbying, if the big pot interests get their licenses, they may then be emboldened to say, we're going to try to cut out our little brother competition in the like legal hemp industry. In Colorado and California, where marijuana in general is legalized, is there a thriving CBD business? Is there enough business anyway for the people who are not the lucky 10 to make a living? That's an open question. If, it, if there's only medicinal allowed, then it's possible that some people who are still looking for a legal high or legal wellness would continue to seek out the CBD and Delta-8 products. If recreational is legalized, then the CBD and legal hemp market might just become obsolete, at least in this floral hemp cannabinoid side of the market. One of my sources, Nicolette Baglio, who runs Citizen Bloom Botanics in town, she's very closely involved with the legislative side of the hemp industry. According to her, yeah, when we get these legal marijuana markets, the hemp and CBD side of things does tend to wither away or become somewhat obsolete. So in a way, we're in this bridge period that since 2017, with the regulation of hemp-related products, that if marijuana is legalized from 2017 until marijuana is legalized, that will be its own era when we have CBD businesses like crazy here. I just can't imagine those that people will still see uses for them. Let's be honest, this whole five-year period has been deeply weird. Because when the state legislature permitted industrial hemp to be grown, I don't think anyone imagined that Delta-8, Delta-10, THCA products would be a thing. You, look, you go back to the initial meeting minutes of the, of the Industrial Hemp Commission, and they talk about this wide diversity of uses for the plant. You look at the bill itself that legalized industrial hemp, they talk about food, fuel, fiber, uh, textiles, etc. Nowhere in there is mentioned these pharmaceuticals. This whole market of intoxicating cannabinoids now, which is such a huge deal, is something that industrious people found a loophole and have slowly widened and widened it. CBD was always a thing that people were interested in, but this whole other suite of chemicals is really only something that's arisen due to the loophole in the federal farm bill and in North Carolina's language. Have you heard anybody from the legislature or social conservatives, anybody who is chagrined now that they, they've seen that the loophole, how it's used, have there been efforts to close that loophole? I remember a couple of years back, there was some grumbling from like statewide police sources who were concerned that having legal smokable hemp was uh, a difficulty in enforcement efforts for marijuana. I, I don't think that really went anywhere. I don't, there's no ban on smokable hemp that, that came through or passed. Maybe something was briefly considered, but mm. yeah. And according to Julie Mayfield, our state Senator, there's really been no discussion among legislators about we need to ban the, these products or something. Do you have any idea where Chuck Edwards, our, our U.S. House of Representative for this region, do you know where he stands on the federalizing of this? I don't know where he's at personally. Okay. I don't think he's particularly on board with legalization of marijuana at the federal level. 
Chuck Edwards has at the state level a history of doing good work for area farmers and area conservation efforts, getting money sent that way. So I know he's involved in the agricultural and outdoors side of Western North Carolina's economy. Where, it, where he lays down on hemp or marijuana, I don't know. Is there anything about your coverage that we haven't talked about you think is interesting for people to pull out? We haven't really talked about the potential for these other uses, which is what initially sparked the story, this idea of hemp as a, a multifaceted plant that can provide plastic, can provide building material. Is that happening? It's happening elsewhere in the country. What Western North Carolina struggles with, as with so many other things, is that we have a very hard time growing at scale. We have not a lot of flat land. We have not that great infrastructure for distribution. We don't have a major navigable river system. We don't have access to ocean ports. So it's hard for us to devote a thousand acres to a hemp plantation, which you would then cut all down and turn into fiber. There are efforts underway, much as with the floral side of things, to to find kind of high-value niche markets for hemp fiber. Those are all still in research and development phases. And these niche markets, is this something, again, that any growers from this region would be competing with people all over the place who are in that as well? Potentially, but if that you are able to grow a specific type of product, grow it consistently, grow it well, and there's local processing facilities around to turn your raw hemp plants into the thing that your buyer wants, there may be an economic case for it. I want to thank my guest today, Daniel Walton, reporting for The Mountain Express. Today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which owners Susan and Giles Collard have been so gracious enough to open to me to record my interviews. Our theme music for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. Don't forget, we're giving away two pairs of tickets to the rest of the Magnetic Theater's productions for 2023. To be eligible, just sign up for our weekly newsletter at podavl.com. Also, please vote for The Overlook as Best Podcast and for me as your favorite radio host in Mountain Express's Best of WNC survey. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.